welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize for the head cold that I have, which you can probably detect through my nasal bass voice that I'm talking with this morning, so... That's okay. We'll power through it today. That's right. So um, Don't be afraid of it. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Thank you for the preview of our, our theme. Yes, today. you're welcome. So Jesus has been teaching in parables in Mark chapter 4. And Mark gives us a collection of his parables, uh, these physical stories with spiritual meaning that are some of the more memorable ways that Jesus taught. He's the master teacher. And it's going to be interesting that he didn't only teach through parables, but he also teaches through his miracles. Yeah, he'll have applications that come from those, and he'll be showing people who he is through them. Yeah, and I think so many times the the miracles of Jesus, similar to a parable being a physical story with spiritual significance, healings and miracles are often a, a physical healing, but it points us to something spiritual that Jesus wants to do for us or can do for us. Yeah, and this episode is going to be focused around those types of miracles where we learn a lot about Jesus just by the miracle that he did. Yep, that's right. And so watch as we uh, go through today's um, text. We're going to be starting in Mark 4, verse 35, and going all the way through the end of chapter 5. I remember still the first time when we were in a study and seeing the theme of fear and faith in these accounts and just kind of cool how Mark weaves that theme together as he records true events about Jesus together. Um, So let's get into it. Uh, We'll start in Mark chapter four, and I'm going to read verse 35 through 41. I'm reading from the English standard version, Mark 4, 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are out on the sea. We see we've had that happen a few times already where they're in a boat. And uh, it's just, I think, helpful for a second. Just talk about the boats. Uh, These aren't like big yachts or like, you know, like big cruise ships. I mean, these are, these are pretty small fishing boats. Yeah. You, you were over there about how big are we talking? I mean, I don't know, like maybe 12 feet or yeah. something like that. Like I'm not good at distances, but they're enough for, you know, Jesus and 12 guys to fit in, but they're fishing boats. They're not, uh, these huge craft. And it's notable here that the sea of Galilee is located in such a place that it's got these hills all around it. And the wind just comes down and you can be, you know, Four miles from the closest land, it's a big enough lake or body of water. Uh, it's not really what we would think of as a sea, because you can like kind of see the whole thing at, at once. But you don't want to be out there when the wind comes. And a, a storm, because of the geography, can, can come up really suddenly. 
And of course, several of these guys are fishermen by trade. I mean, they're no strangers to this body of water. And if they're scared about the windstorm, you know it's worth being scared about. Like, this is a serious situation, and the boat is filling up with water. Yeah, which is obviously not a good thing. We know, like, when the water gets in the boat and it fills up, eventually the boat sinks. And so, like, I do think they have reason to be afraid. They have a reason to be panicked about the situation that's going on. I I really, I feel for them. Yeah. Here's what's interesting to me, though, is Jesus. I mean, of all things, where's Jesus? He's asleep. He's in the boat, but he's just snoozing. Yeah. He's not worried. And that's kind of fascinating. Uh, that Jesus is able to have this just such calm that he's just taking a nap in the back of the boat while things are crazy outside. Yeah. Um, And it's really interesting the question they ask him when they run over to him. mm -hmm. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Yeah. And every time I read that, I cringe a little bit. Because it's like, well, of course he cares. We, we, We know that Jesus cares for his disciples. But in the moment where they are just scared out of their minds, they doubt Jesus. They doubt whether or not he actually cares about them. And that's really what can happen to us, too, is there's a lot of times where our life is hard. I mean, there are things happening that we don't understand that are are pushing us to our limits. And there are times where when we are in, in the storm, so to speak, that we start to doubt, you know. Does God even care? Does he even see what I'm going through here? And And that's a serious question. Uh, If we're doubting God's care, that's almost an even worse storm, if you will. That that if if we're like, well, maybe God doesn't even care about me. Man, that's a a shaking of our foundations in in a huge way. And so I appreciate that the disciples ask this question because it's a very honest question. And it really gets to the heart of what happens to us, too. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus is going to have another instance where he's out on the water with the disciples later in um, chapter 6. And we'll get to talk about that, Lord willing, in a couple of podcasts. But we often do that. We we will forget about the different ways Jesus or God has helped us in our life because we're just so panicked about the current situation. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, of course, that's why whenever he does hush the, the sea, he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, we've been through things, maybe not just like this, but things similar to this so far. Why are you doubting me now? And I'm guilty of that. In the storm, I forget about all the other experiences that I've already had with Jesus. Yeah, it's just so easy to forget when the present storm gets going. Right. And uh, and you see the fear and faith here. Why are you afraid? Again, a good question. They're afraid because they're not trusting that, hey, if, this, if Jesus is in the boat with us, it's going to be okay. And it doesn't care how high the waves are, how strong the wind is. If Jesus is in the boat with me, I'm going to be okay. And if Jesus can sleep through it, I can trust him. Right. It's not that he doesn't care. It's that there's not, it's not that there's not danger, but it's that Jesus is going to bring me through the danger. It's going to be all right. Can we just talk about for a second? the fact that Jesus was able to calm a storm yeah. and just how powerful that is for a second. Like imagine being out in the middle of a tornado or like something like that. And just someone calmly saying, hush, be still. And imagine just seeing like the clouds roll away and like all this, the rain yeah. stop and the wind die. Like, could you, could you just imagine that for a second? This just, 
exhibits and shows the power that Jesus had. He, he made the seas. He made the, the winds. He's able to control them. That's right. And it's interesting to hear. It doesn't, I've never thought of him saying it calmly, actually. It says he rebuked the wind. He's like, hey, be quiet. Like, I think that's actually the word here. It's like, yeah, yeah, to, that, yeah, that's right. To, to be quiet. Stop, stop yelling. <laughs> and so Jesus like, hey, stop it. And the winds and the waves, stop it. They, they just like calm down. And I love how we were left with the disciples. They're also filled with great fear. Now, I guess it's a different kind of fear. At first they're afraid of dying. And now they're afraid of like, who is this guy that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that question isn't just answered. It, that's the end of this little account in Mark. And again, we are given in the Gospels very honest pictures of the reactions of the disciples so that we're kind of having the same reaction as them. It's like, okay, who is this guy? Yeah. And it just moves on to the next story. And so we're left to kind of contemplate and to reason from the miracles we're seeing and figure out, well, who is Jesus? based on what he can do. That's so much of what Jesus is going to expect people to do is to look at what he does and think about who he is as a result of that. So that gets us to chapter five. Um, this next uh, longer uh, story. Um, you got that chase? Yeah. I'm reading from the new American standard Bible starting in chapter five, verse one. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, Immediately, a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been uh, demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim it, and De uh, Decapolis 
what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Okay. So this is an interesting story in that it happens in a little bit of a different place than Jesus is usually working. I mean, he's usually in the region of Galilee, which is up by the Sea of Galilee. And usually he's over on the west side of things. But he crosses over to the other side of the sea, the east side, in this country of the Gerasenes. And there's some debate about this, but it appears that this may be kind of a a Gentile region. Yeah, that's what I've always heard, that it's more of a Gentile-ish region. And so it's very interesting to see Jesus going out here for a little bit. Right, and in part we know that because they have pigs. Right. And it's an unclean animal for the Jews. And so they've got 2,000 of them. This is a big deal in this area. That's a lot of money in those pigs. Right. And the other side of that coin is, at this point in Jewish history, we're not going to be shocked if a certain amount of the Jews have been farming pigs. Uh, So that's one other side of it that I've heard as well. Yeah. So anyway, they come over there and here's a guy that you do not want to mess with. He's been out in the tombs. And nobody could even tie him up with a chain. Um, he's demon possessed. Uh, he, you know, someone's cut himself and like it's crying out in the tombs. Uh, so this is intense. I mean, here's a guy that normally, like, you can't even like he's breaking the chains, and yet when he sees Jesus, he runs to Jesus. Now again, if I'm like with Jesus at that point and like. You know, we pull up on the shore, and then you hear this guy screaming and running at Jesus. I'm like, I'm getting back in the boat. Yeah. Like, I'm out of there. Yeah. But he falls down before Jesus and is pleading with Jesus. It's like, again, who is this guy that, like, the demon-possessed man who you can't tie up with chains is begging for mercy before Jesus even does anything? I mean, he is saying, like, come out of the man. But, Wow. You learn again about the authority, the power of Jesus. Here's this carpenter from Nazareth. And a legion of demons in this guy is begging him for mercy. That's just kind of mind-blowing to think about. Yeah, and like there's no mistake about it. This guy was in bad shape because what the demons were doing to him, yes. But I mean, verse 5, he was screaming among the tombs. He's gashing himself with stones. Like he's doing self-harm because these demons are are just so bad. I mean, there's tons of them in him. Yeah, and so um, he knows who Jesus is. You know, why have you, uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Um, So he knows that, Jesus has authority over him and authority to torment him too. Um, And so uh, Jesus, interestingly, asks him his name. I think it's the only time that Jesus says like, hey, demon, like, what's your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And again, we don't see a whole lot about that idea of like multiple demons. I think, well, remember Magdalene had seven, um, but, this guy has a legion. Like, this yeah. is a lot, like, like hundreds. Uh, there's 2,000 pigs, so sometimes it's been said, okay, well, there's like 2,000 demons in this can, guy. And can we just talk about for a second how terrifying that would be to hear, like for the demons to look back at you and say, my name is Legion, for we are many. Yeah. Like that's an intense situation. And I, I'm like you, like what you said, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm back in the boat. Like this is scary. Yeah. And so he... Again, there's so many fascinating things about this story. They're begging Jesus. 
not to be sent out of the country. Some, I think Luke's account says, like, into the abyss. Yeah. Chapter um, 8, verse 31 of Luke's account, they're begging not to be sent into the abyss, which is really interesting. Yeah, so I think the idea is that if the demons are not, like, inside somebody or something, then there's a state of torment or a place that they have to go that they don't want to go. Mm-hmm. There's a lot we don't know about that, but... It's interesting because they they request, hey Jesus, can we go in the pigs? And of course, if you're Jesus, what do you expect? Or if you, what do you expect Jesus to say here? No, just come out. But Jesus says yes. Yeah, they're like negotiating with Jesus, like a hostage situation. And Jesus (laughs) grants them to go into the pigs. Yeah, yeah. I love verse thirteen. Jesus gave them permission. It's just like, yes, sure, you you can go do that. And so that's what they do. They come out. And uh, what's funny, though, is as soon as they enter into the pigs, what happens to the pigs? They go down this steep bank and into the sea, and they drown. Yeah. 2,000 of them. Yeah. That's a lot of pigs, and that's also a lot of demons, by the way. Yeah. So that's a that was the their fate. And so I don't know what would have happened to them after the pigs were drowned, but I would imagine they ended up going back to where they came from, where right. they didn't want to go, to yeah. the abyss. So I think Jesus, you know, he... It's like, well, it doesn't matter if you go in the pigs, you're still going to end up where you don't want to go. Now, it's also interesting. Um, I went to this spot um, when we went to Galilee last year, and somebody made the point that you know I'd always pictured like a sheer cliff, like down into the water. Like, yeah, and the text splash. says a steep bank into the sea, so that's why we would imagine. Yeah, that. possibly, yeah. but it is also possible that like this was just like a real steep hill. And one of the things that's crazy about this is it's still a good, like, 100 feet, 200 feet from the water. And so, like, the, the pigs aren't just, like, falling off a cliff, but they're running down a steep hill and then running down into the sea. Like, they're crazy. These demons, I don't know if they don't know how to drive pigs or what, but like, they, they um, are, are crazy. And so they get, they get drowned in, in the water. So then there's the reaction. I think this is really the point of all this is the herdsmen, they've been keeping the pigs. They go tell the people. People come out. And they come, this is verse 15, they come to Jesus and they see the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, is what Mark adds. And uh, their reaction to that, they became frightened. They're afraid. And again, fear and faith. They come back and you think, praise God. He's healed. He's in his right mind. He's not going to torment people anymore. He's not going to torment himself anymore. And the, instead, they are afraid. Now, granted, I mean, this is an incredible miracle that Jesus has done, but it's also cost them something. Their 2,000 strong herd is gone. That's a tremendous financial loss for them and for the area. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're focused on besides the fact that Jesus has done a great miracle here. I I like to think about why, in the disciples' case, in these people's case, why they're afraid. You look at this massive man who's, who. well, I've always imagined him as being massive, but he, you know, he's being tormented, no chains can subdue him, and then this man can subdue him. It just shows you how much more powerful he is than that guy. They were scared of the demon-possessed man, and if that guy can defeat him, how much more afraid should they be of that guy? But what's amazing about Jesus is, yes, he has more power than all those demons combined. Yes, he has more power than the winds and the seas because they obey him. But he's humble. He's meek. He's gentle. 
And so here all these people are afraid because they see how much power they, that he has. I think Jesus knows that, and so he harnesses it. He holds back, which is an amazing thing to me. Yeah, he's here to use that power for good and not to destroy. Absolutely. I also think it's interesting to think about the fact that Jesus has brought great healing, but that there was a cost to them in this. And sometimes people are afraid to come to Jesus because they see the blessing. They see the healing that can be given in their life. But they are afraid of the cost. They're afraid that if I come to Jesus and he really starts to change things in my life, it's going to cost me friendships. It's going to cost me situate, you know, my job, my relationships, whatever. And fear will send Jesus away. That's what's amazing to me about this is that they see this, they're afraid, and they beg Jesus to leave their region. And what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't beg back. If Jesus isn't wanted, he's going to leave. He's not chasing them around. And of course he wants to help. Um, He would stay if they let him. But if we don't want Jesus around, Jesus will leave. Mm -hmm. Fear sends Jesus away. And so there's some powerful lessons there for us too. Now, the last part of this is really interesting because there's one more guy begging him. (laughs) Um, The man who had been possessed with the demons begged to go with Jesus. Yeah, he, uh, in fact, in Jesus's answer to him is, you know, I want you to go home. And we learned that that, I think, would be the region of Decapolis. Which is, what does that mean? Like like 10 cities, region of 10 cities. But Jesus says, go back home and you tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Yeah. I mean, this is the simplest form of evangelism, right? That's right. Go home and tell everybody what God's done for you. And he does. He goes. Yep. And it's also worth noting, this might be an area that Jesus doesn't circle back around to. And yeah. so Jesus sends this guy to go and tell about him. Because we've talked already about how weird it is sometimes for Jesus to say, like, shh, like, don't tell anybody you've mm-hmm. been healed. But with this guy, he's like, don't follow me. Stay over here right. and just tell everybody what God's done for you. Right. And I think the difference there is that Jesus is sent primarily to the Jews. Mm-hmm. And this guy, if this is a Gentile region... There's going to be, it's going to be different. Jesus isn't doing a lot of miracles over there. And so this one miracle will spread through that whole region and he'll be doing some other work where Jesus isn't doing a whole lot. Right. Um, it's a possible explanation for this. Uh, so everybody is marveling once again, um, at the end of this. So let's read this last section. Um, and this is again, uh, I think Chase, your turn for this is a Mark sandwich. Yes. Uh, so, um, it's where we're going to start one story and then have another story kind of in the middle and then come back to the first one. So we'll read the first the first part of the first one and the the middle one. We'll get like a piece of bread. Okay. And then like the meat. Okay. And then we'll get back to the other And then thing. we'll get back to the bread. Anyway. All right. So Mark 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. 
and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing about you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All right, so the first story that Mark starts with here with his sandwich is about this guy named Jairus. He's a synagogue official, so he's a Jew. And uh, he comes up and he falls at Jesus' feet. Yeah, there's a lot of falling at Jesus' feet in yeah, these stories. Yeah, there are. And so and he's imploring him. And he says, you know, my daughter, my little daughter, she's about to die. Come lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. I love, I love that Jesus just like goes with him. <laughs> Verse 44. Yeah, and he goes with him. And so Jesus just is following this guy to his house to, to heal his daughter. And the large crowd is pressing in around him. And then we got the other person. Right. And so it, I think it's important to remember Jairus in all this. Is, so they're on the way to Jairus's house. His daughter is at the point of death. This is a desperate situation. And Jairus is going to be tested here. Um, he's in the crowd with Jesus when this woman comes up. And so they're kind of on the way to his house. And this woman has probably kind of a female problem going on here, with blood and stuff. And she comes up and she, interestingly, has had this for 12 years. Just remember that for just a minute. And she, this actually, if you read the Old Testament, like she's got a lot of guts to do this because she's unclean mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah, like ceremonially unclean mm -hmm. and everybody that she touches in that crowd is ceremonially unclean. So she's kind of like going through the crowd and like people don't even know like what's happening. Yeah. And Mark includes for us that she's endured much at the hands of many physicians. She spent all that she had and gotten no help, but it's gotten even worse. Yeah. But guess who's able to help Jesus. And I love her, her thinking here. It's like, I don't even have to like, Jesus doesn't even have to do anything. I just have to like touch his clothes. Oh, so like much if, faith there. If I can just get close enough to just touch his garment, I'll be healed. So her faith is evident. But I also think, based on what we see here, what's her plan? She just wants to slip in and slip out. Yep. She doesn't want to like a big scene out of it. She doesn't really want to confess her faith in Jesus. She just wants to come in, get healed, and then be on her way. And I can kind of see where... You wouldn't want to call a lot of attention to yourself. But it's interesting because when she touches Jesus, Jesus knows what's happening. And of course, he knows who's touched him. I think this is for her benefit that he says, like, who touched me? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the disciples yeah. have the kind of comical reaction. Jesus, man, I mean, like. Who didn't touch you? <laughs> yeah, like everybody's pressing around. Like, uh, how do you say who touched me? And the woman knows what's going on. And so Jesus, in a sense, kind of helps her to be open with this. To confess her faith. And so she comes. Verse 33, the woman is fearing and trembling. So there's our fear again. Yep. And, uh, you know, I love how Mark puts it. She came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Like she told him everything, yep. what's been going on with her, what she was thinking. I would imagine would be involved in that. But she's, she's afraid. And yet yeah. Jesus just so gently turns to her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. 
go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Yeah. As we think about that, I mean, there's some powerful lessons there is that Jesus heals us, but he doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to confess that and say like, yeah, like this is what Jesus did for me. Mm -hmm. And Jesus has just healed her, but she's wanting to kind of like scoot away. And so she's afraid. I don't know all of what reaction she's going to get, but like she tells the story and Jesus helps her to overcome that fear and to say, okay, yeah. And she falls down with trembling and tells the whole truth. And Jesus has compassion on her. Your faith has made you well. Go be healed of your disease. I mean, after 12 years, the relief that she would have felt. And what's interesting now is, is again, Jairus is in the crowd. And they're on the way to heal his daughter. And I mean, this has to be encouraging for Jairus. He's like, awesome. Like, if he can heal her. Then he can heal my daughter, yeah. and things are about to yeah. totally change. And I, I like to think too. Now let's go, like a little, little right, bit right. of pushing. Now let's on, let's get on. to my daughter. Let, let's pick up in that story, verse thirty-five. It says, "While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more?'" But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, "Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe." And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entered in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Well, they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given her to eat. So again, you're Jairus. You're, you've just seen this woman healed in the crowd. And then your world is rocked. The news comes. You're still on the way. Your daughter is dead. I mean, I have two daughters. I can't imagine getting that news. And then they also say, why trouble the teacher any further? Showing that they're like, well, Jesus can't do anything at this point. Right. They, they don't have belief in Jesus' ability to do anything more at this point. And so Jairus is faced with a decision. Am I going to continue to have Jesus come? Or am I going to say, all right, Jesus, we, you know, thank you for making this much of the trip, but there's nothing more you can do. When Jesus overhears what they said, I love what he says. Do not fear, only believe. And it's helpful to point out that that word believe is the other word that we get for faith. Yeah, it's the same word. Yeah. And I think another helpful sentiment here is trust. Mm -hmm. Trust in me. Trust that I can take care of this situation. Sorry. Because, I mean, Jairus has to be totally crumbling in this moment. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me the restraint of the gospel writers. They, they don't talk a lot about Jairus' reaction, except that they continue. Um, and so they, they go on to Jairus' house. He takes Peter, James, and John. Yeah, that's right. So it kind of his inner three. And when they approach, there's people weeping and wailing. And again, I just can't imagine Jairus's heart at this minute mm -hmm. when people are just 
wailing over his daughter and how that would have made him, again, maybe want to just say, no, it's over, it's over. But Jesus does something that would have been a relief, is they go in, and he takes the Jairus and his wife and the three with him, and he puts everybody else out. So it's just this small crew. And he takes her by the hand. And it's interesting here that Mark records the actual Aramaic words. Like mm-hmm. This has been the words that Jesus said. And it translates it for us. Uh, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the girl, the girl who is dead, immediately gets up and begins walking. And I mean, the relief, the, the joy, the like, I thought I was never going to see you again. And now she's alive. And they're overcome with amazement. Yeah. This is phenomenal. This is the first resurrection that Jesus performs. There's not a whole lot of resurrections that Jesus does. There's this one. There's the, the widow's son and Luke there's and Lazarus. Then Lazarus and John. But uh, Jesus is able to bring hope even when we think all hope has died. Yeah. And I always love in verse 43, of course, he says, don't tell anybody this, but he does say, give the girl something to eat. She's right. very hungry. So the, but the excitement, all that, sometimes that, that could get missed, but Jesus is still calm, collected, and taking care of the situation. That's right. And that's what he does. He walks into our lives when we humble ourselves and come to him, and he takes care of the situation fully and completely. And it's also notable that he records that this little girl is 12 years old. Yes. You remember that the woman with the blood issue uh, has been for 12 years. And so it's interesting that when she started to have this problem, it was the same time about that this little girl was born. And little did they know that on the same day, they're going to end up both receiving the blessing from God, the healing uh, from Jesus on the same day. So we're excited for next episode. Um, Next episode, we're going to be talking about Jesus coming back home to Nazareth. And we'll learn a little bit about how his family receives him there and his uh, friends that he grew up with. We're also going to read about Jesus and uh, his sending out of the 12 apostles for their various reasons. And then we're going to find out what happened to John the Baptist. You'll remember back in chapter 1, it told us that John was arrested and uh, Mark is going to take the time to explain to us what happened to John and why he was arrested. So, Lord willing, we'll get to talk about that next week. Yeah, thank you all so much for joining us today. Um, if you have any questions about what you're hearing on the podcast or want to study with us further, uh, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949. Call us or text us. Email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, visit us on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for tuning in today.